Hello, everyone. This is Rick with the Cyber Pro Podcast. And two leaders share their insights. It's five questions in nine minutes, most of the time. And it's because hackers never sleep. But let's get to it. We're bringing back Matthew Rosenquist. I said that right, right? Yes. Perfect. He was episode number 26 back in February of 2021. And at that time, he was talking to us about focusing in cyber really should be on managing the risk and just how to do that. And, and he, was a, he was a hit. And so now we've brought him back. So Matthew, what have you been up to since last being on the Cyber Pro Podcast? Oh, wow. Um, I'm a CISO for a startup. Uh, I'm on 14 advisory boards. I've released a training course on LinkedIn about the five biggest mistakes that cybersecurity organizations make, uh, doing key notes, speaking events, and then I also consult and advise out to academia, to businesses and the governments around the world. So I try and keep busy. That's, that's not at all busy. I think you could take on at least, you know, five or six more companies and advise for them. <laughs> Absolutely. Oh, and I do podcasts too. So I've got a whole podcast, Cybersecurity Insights Channel. So I get to talk with people like you and everybody else in the industry about, well, anything I want, because when you run it, you can talk any topic on your mind. It's great. That's awesome. And, and where can people find that other podcast? Just so everybody knows, we love to share the wealth here. Um, YouTube.com Cybersecurity Insights. Right, you yes, right there. Just do a search. Perfect. Love it, love it, love it. So how has the cybersecurity landscape evolved over the past few years? Uh, well, it hasn't gotten any easier, right? It's gotten more complex, more challenging. And this is what we expect. So this isn't what, you know, a cold fish slap in the face or something like that. We knew it was going to get harder. The only easy day is yesterday. Uh, you know, we predicted that, especially beginning this year and moving into next, we're going to see a lot more nation states invest big amounts of money. And that's problematic. It's problematic for everybody. Uh, you know, prior to that, yes, we had cyber criminals investing and maybe spending a vast amount of like like a million dollars to to get a vulnerability. But when you start bringing in nation states, it's not a million dollars dollars they're willing to spend. It may be a billion dollars. And they're, you know, looking for vulnerabilities, developing professional exploits, things that are very, very complex out there, incredible capabilities. And as soon as they unleash it into the world, well, all the other bad guys who don't have those R&D budgets, those cyber criminals and everybody else, they grab it. They dissect it, tear it apart, and then they start using pieces of it in their malicious attacks so even if one nation state is attacking another and you're thinking oh that doesn't impact me i'm on the sidelines yes it does because the other bad guys are gonna grab it and use it against you down the down the road and we see this all the time yeah nobody's on the sidelines unless unless you literally don't have any digital footprint <laughs> and, and that just doesn't happen nowadays everybody's got some kind of dependency some dependency and Many cases, it's third party, you know, your banking institutions, your suppliers, your business partners, your communications, who doesn't have a cell phone, right? So, yeah, we're, we're all in this together. So are there any emerging trends, technologies, or approaches that you're excited about? Yes, uh, AI, uh, quantum, uh, I like blockchain. I mean, there's all sorts of different things. 
Uh, nowadays, the, the hottest topic is obviously AI. Everybody talks about AI. Every marketing person has to use AI in their slide deck, in their campaign. Otherwise, they get fired. So whether you know, they actually use AI or not, um, you know, AI is one of those tremendously powerful tools. We don't even know how powerful it can get uh, for different organizations and sectors. But in the rush to go grab that and implement it and, and benefit from it, often organizations fail to recognize that with that great power comes equitable risk. And we saw this most recently like with cloud, right? Cloud was incredibly powerful. People didn't want to have data centers in their offices and things. And so everybody rushed to it. And it wasn't secure. <laughs> it just wasn't. And it took several years for people to realize, whoa, what did I just do? Okay, now we need security. Um, AI is is very much that way as well. Everybody is focused on how do I get this integrated? How do I turn it on? How do I connect it with my customers? How do I gain more revenue, market share? Yes, 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 yes. And they're not looking at the risks. Uh, you know, there's ethical risks, there's there's cyber risk, privacy risks, there's all sorts of things that could, again, create an incident, a material incident that can create your company or at least set you back. Oh, and, and AI is just, it's not foolproof. People think it is, but it's not foolproof. And, <laughs> and that's a problem, right? <laughs> and even if it were foolproof, you know, the reality is you implement it. There would always be problems implementing it. And, and we see that in encryption, right? We've got incredibly strong encryption algorithms. The algorithms don't get broken for the most part, right? They're, they're good for decades and decades. The big problem that comes in is how people implement those and they implement them incorrectly and in insecure ways and they get undermined. And people think, oh, it's the algorithm. No, the algorithm's solid. It's how you implemented it, right? If you happen to leave your password files, right, in open text on a server somewhere or with a vendor, doesn't matter how strong your encryption is, <laughs> you know, your implementation and your operations say a lot. So yeah, in AI, all of that is insecure in addition to the technology itself. Nice. Matthew, share with us a real world cybersecurity story that you've had or, or, or been encountered with and some lessons or takeaways that we can learn from it. In what kind of topic is there? A, can you narrow that down? <laughs> I, you know, slip a coin, uh, throw a dart, figure figure out first first thought process. And this is this is the greatest part about these you know second second podcast guests is, is you guys get you guys get to drive this car a lot faster. <laughs> okay, so let's talk about something that we're experiencing now, but it's really gonna kind of hit us like a brick wall in the future, and that comes down the value. Every security organization out there has to constantly adapt to the attackers because they're very dynamic, right? And they adapt. So it typically takes more and more resources. In our industry, between 9 and 20% budget increase per year is not unusual. It's estimated at about 15% gain every year. So you're asking for money from your C-suite, from your board, right? What I'm seeing is a lot of CISOs after several years of doing this going back and the boards and the CISOs are like, okay, when does this stop, right? You're, you're a cost sink. You're not making me money. And yet I've got to keep throwing money at you. And then here's the kicker. If the security team is really good, 
they're not seeing negative impacts. Why would I throw give you money if bad things don't happen to us? Right? Or on the converse, if you're not such a good team and bad things are happening and you're looking across your industry going, why are we always the victim? You're thinking, why am I going to give this incompetent person and this incompetent team more money? So again, you're kind of in a losing proposition. And there becomes a, a cliff at some point where the board and the C-suite just don't want to invest any more money, regardless of what you're doing. So we then have to adapt. And we are so focused on, I'm just here for protection and I'm here for regulatory compliance. That, that, that's my role. And yet that doesn't help the bottom line. And I see moving forward, there's going to have to be some tough decisions. And if we are truly going to adapt, like Darwin says, we, we should, if we want to survive, we are going to have to expand on what we do and what we contribute as security professionals to the company. And whether that's helping, uh, um, you know, marketing, because we're, we've got good security and it has a good story and people are becoming more savvy, right? And anything that, that could be a purchase criteria for the customers has a value story. Maybe we should be talking about that. Maybe we should, as part of our skewing strategy, have security as part of those, moving people from freemium models to a paid model, right? I'm even seeing some organizations uh, actually use security, pure security, to generate new revenue. And that fundamentally changes that discussion when you're talking with the C-suite and when you're talking with the board and you're asking for more money because it's no longer your cost sink, right? You're now also contributing and they want to know, well, how, how much more can you contribute, right? Less, they see you as an investment. Well said. And now we get to the fun final question. We asked you before what, what was your favorite piece of retro technology, but now... What is your current piece of technology that just makes you smile? <laughs> I don't remember when I said my favorite retro, but I know what my current set of technology is. And you're not going to like this answer because it's really wetware. It's oh, really the brains of my employees and my contractors and my suppliers. So I invest a lot of time. In fact, I do all the security training for all the vendors, all the new hires. I even do it for board members. I take that time and dedicate to do that because I want the organization, one, to be savvy about security issues, two, to understand the relevant security issues for any given organization because it's different. So it's not generic, right? Let's get into very specifics. This is how we'd be attacked, who would be attacking us. This is what you would see. And the third thing is I want to build a rapport. I don't want to be the beat cop with a, you know, a, a nightstick hitting people over the head going, you did something wrong. I want to be somebody you call when something may or may not have happened. And I'm there as a partner. I'm here to help you. Let's look into this. I've got the expertise. Let's fix this if there is a problem. So if I can build a positive rapport uh, with the organization, with the individuals, I see them contacting me a lot more. And most, most of the time, it's nothing, right? They see something odd and they call me in and I'll give them a reward and praise. And that's fine. I, I, I want to be called 20 times when it's nothing. Because there's that one time I get called early on something, I catch it and contain it, 
and it makes all the difference. And these types of continual interactions reinforces their behavior and they become security champions unto themselves. And that builds a culture. When everybody around you is also security savvy, it raises the new people up. It raises that person who goes, ah, no, that won't be that big of a deal. Or, oh, I'll cut corners right now because we have a deadline to get to. When everybody else goes, no, whoa, 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 wait a second, wait a second, that's not okay. It fundamentally changes your risk, right? And how bad people can take advantage of your technology, of your process, and of your people. So it still comes down to the human, the wetware between the ears. Yeah, I love it. I love the passion, Matthew. And thank you so much for being on the podcast. My pleasure. Thank you for tuning into the CyberPro Podcast. Make sure to like and follow so you don't miss out on new podcasts and bonus content.